Let us imagine it is about 4.30 a.m. in the morning, and I, as a rostered minister in the Lutheran Church, receive a phone call from a parishioner that they are in need of pastoral assistance. Either they or a member of the congregation is gravely ill, and I am whisked away to the ER room or to the hospital, not knowing what I'm about to walk into. These kinds of events, while rare, do happen, and they require skills, techniques, approaches, so that I can best present the love of Christ and help administer God's love according to whatever need is found there. These are skills that I am currently learning to hone and develop in a course taught by Dr. Storm Swain at United Lutheran Seminary. And as a student working towards a word in sacrament, one of the most interesting components is I've been asked to overview initially two methodologies, two approaches to many of these questions. Uh, they are entitled Kaira and the PCA model. I have had Samantha, who you've often seen assisting me, uh, offer a brief explanation of what the letters in Kaira and PCA mean. They are as follows. Kaira is collegiality, authority, identity, responsibility, and accountability. PC8 is presence, connect, assess, intervene, and develop a plan of care. Well, already we see some distinctions here. Uh, in Kaira, collegiality, authority, identity, respect, etc., um, what's interesting about these terminologies is we see a focus on um, an attitude approach. Collegiality and respect are attitudes in a sense. Um, yes, we have confidentiality and identity and authority. Confidentiality is also to another attitude approach. Um, but identity and authority also are almost nouns in a sense. Um, they confront us with who and what we are in Christ and who or what is the, the suffering individuals in Christ, that they're made in the image and likeness of God. Um, meanwhile, we see in the PC aid model uh, some uh, hints at practical steps forward, uh, an idea of what it means to intervene, for example, uh, to develop uh, plans of action uh, and of course, to practice the presence of Christ, dealing with uh, more of the boots-on-the-ground reality. So we can see how these concepts, um, in some cases, could seemingly overlap and seemingly contrast. They're quite fascinating. Now, what's equally unique about this is I've been asked to point out three um, points in the readings that we have had this week that I found of personal interest. And among the readings that I had was from a book on developing uh, skills for effective pastoral counseling. And in developing these skills for effective pastoral counseling, uh, there was an anecdote given at the beginning of that book between uh, the figure called the counselor and their counselee. Uh, Tom is the counselee. And in that hypothetical example, the names have obviously been 
changed for the the privacy and confidentiality of the individual individuals involved. Um, in previous iterations, uh, Tom had gone to several uh, support groups, had sought counseling from pastors earlier who had assigned homework assignments, had tried to uh, confront him specifically only on his weaknesses. But instead, uh, the counselor, who's not named in that antidote, um, tries to focus on uh, the counselee's strengths instead, to try to point out where they actually have attributes that could be helpful uh, and offers open ears to hearing where uh, that counselee, in this case Thomas, uh, feels that they have not necessarily been represented well in the past and can enter into their journey. Now, the book does clearly define the fact that this is not necessarily uh, an ordinary reciprocal relationship. Uh, the counselor is still trying to lead the counselee through that process. Uh, there is a clear uh, distinguishing of roles. But by focusing on the strengths and attributes of the counselee, I found that to be a very empowering and, and beautiful idea of accompaniment, practicing the presence of Christ. This was also powerfully indicated by one of the comments made in the introduction to uh, Kyra by you, Dr. Swain. And one of the comments that you've made is, often in the world we are entering into economic forms of thought. Uh, here we tend to think of people according to their function at points. Um, a doctor is a good doctor because they perform their medical treatments well. Um, someone is effective at their job and therefore because they're effective at it, uh, they hold that position, which um, I believe you termed an economic form of approach, which is fundamentally different from uh, the more holistic pastoral approach, which sees the, the value in someone's role in their, the fullness of their personhood. Uh, not necessarily on the competency of, oh yes, um, you know, you can take this short one-week course for, uh, you know, carrying out clinical assistance, but how do you accompany someone through suffering? How do you practice uh, the gift of presence uh, during a period of time such as a crisis? So these are points which were briefly touched on, but were of deep importance to me. Uh, the third element I found interesting was in... Um, the article you provided, Trauma and Transformation at Ground Zero, that beautiful and gory poem about the uh, individual approaching a body at the morgue, I, I believe with the title Lauds, which of course refers to the liturgical time for the Book of Common Prayer in the Anglican tradition and within the Roman Catholic tradition in the breviary. And what's fascinating about this meditation is there was a brief foray in the text into the Trinity and the idea that God in God's own self, uh, so not the economic tr Trinity, but the imminent Trinity, God in God's self uh, is, of course, community, three divine persons and one essence. And in that sense, in sharing an eternal community um, and the reference that you made in the article beautifully to, to Augustine, to the loved, to the beloved, and to love, 
there is a sense in which um, the very communal nature of God reminds us that we must live in koinonia. Uh, too often, uh, we can easily turn this into uh, a kind of world of theory, uh, a textbook churchianity, uh, to kind of make a quick pass at Karl Barth in, in the sense. And there's nothing wrong with having our theories on paper. But as you mentioned, you asked me to include one point from the lecture I found deeply fascinating, where uh, there can be a distinction between one's own private theological practice and one's um, necessarily how, how that is lived out uh, and the the difficulties and challenges of trying to walk the lines of being thrust into situations which require patience and being able to go with the flow. Um, you eloquently uh, demonstrated through our class discussions without giving any personal details away at all. Uh, the, the deep necessity that was dawning on me hearing the, uh, the scenario that you were laying out at the beginning of class about being thrust into a hospital room with a, a patient who is severely ill. The fact that there will be times in our practice where we won't do everything right all at once, where there, where there will be slip-ups, where we won't think things fully through. And in those situations, to put our primary focus on how we can be of best of service in those times, um, to ask what the needs are of those we are called to serve. Now, I could go uh, on very much about all of these points, uh, and I could probably ramble for another, you know, 10 to 20 more minutes, but I want to keep it in a reasonable time frame. I uh, asked one interesting fact about myself, uh, and I would argue vehemently as a huge Lord of the Rings nerd, uh, one of the interesting elements I find fascinating uh, about this whole course is the deep psychological relevance of accompaniment through suffering. And uh, there's a passage in The Return of the King depicted in the Peter Jackson movies where uh, Samwise Gamgee, the companion of the hero Frodo Baggins carrying the ring of power on his neck, says, well, Tell me about the burden that you are carrying. And Frodo complains bitterly about the burden, the ring, that he is carrying. And how he no longer remembers the taste of food, the taste of water. And what's quite amazing about all of this is Samwise Gamgee responds to Frodo, well then, we better get rid of it. Well, Mr. Frodo, if I can't carry it for you, then I can carry you. And he helps carry uh, the protagonist up Mount Doom, uh, obviously uh, paralleling the carrying of the cross of Simon the Cyrenian of Jesus up uh, Golgotha. And I think that's obviously, as a parable and as an analogy, uh, something of what it means of Christian witness, particularly in great suffering. Now, obviously, there are boundaries within any kind of uh, pastoral arrangement. Uh, so I'm not suggesting that uh, we need to thrust ourselves into the situation like Sam and that analogy directly. Uh, but I do think that there is a, a kind of parallelism of what it is to help others carry their crosses according to our role and according to the way in which we are sent. 
Uh, one other note I found very interesting in class, and I know it's not necessarily a direct point that someone else made, was just the idea of um, the question, what are the thoughts you were having on the way to the hospital, <laughs> hearing about these these difficulties? And the thought on my end that, of course, there are no words. And, you know, the the insufficiency of language, and therefore the need to rely on the Holy Spirit. And I actually would like to conclude that this is a highly encouraging point, because it reminds us, it illustrates for us, the fact that it is in relying on the power of God and centering ourselves first in prayer, quieting ourselves in prayer, that then allows us from that place of stillness and centeredness, therefore to image Christ best for those around us. I think it was very moving and very palpable. Well, I hope this has been sufficient. I'll try to make it shorter next time. And God bless.